0: when we start sort of peeling back the layers around the dry sales pipeline, it's because they don't have a niche. That does not mean that you're only going to work with dentists for the rest of your life. That's not how we define niche. But typically somebody doesn't have a niche. And and then they can't swim in the right pond for finding the right fit client because they're not sure what the pond is. Because they don't have a niche, they can't speak to the right problems, pain points, business issues, and challenges because everyone they serve is different and they all think they're unique snowflakes they don't have the right stories to tell they can maybe tell that story over here but not the other story over there so typically the who who to sell to is a money-draining mistake because they're not sure so they're trying to attract that right fit client that has the right budget that's going to be perfect to work with but they're sort of aimlessly wandering through the wilderness hoping they stumble upon that person that's really hard to do as you well know
1: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the CEO of Predictive ROI, Stephen Westner. In today's episode, you will learn how you can increase revenues online consistently and repeatedly. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Stephen Westner. Stephen is the founder and CEO of Predictive ROI, a digital marketing agency, and the host of Onward Nation and Sell with Authority podcasts. Since the advent of the commercial internet, Stephen has collected tens of thousands of data points that have given him the ability to identify what he calls the eight money-draining mistakes and the eight money-making opportunities. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation and and look forward to our conversation. As do I, Um, I actually want to start off by talking about something that is in your book, Profitable Podcasting, Okay. where you write about why you need a purpose behind your podcast. And specifically you write a podcast is just a tool. It's just a platform. A platform Mm -hmm. is simply a conduit for distributing or sharing content. No platform in and of itself will help your business grow revenue. Can you elaborate a little bit on this concept?
0: Yeah, I think it's because we have so much experience over the last, you know, almost decade and a half of working alongside clients to create content. And and I think oftentimes a podcast in particular is thought of, oh, well, I'm going to launch this show and it's about this thing. And I'm going to start recording these episodes and I'm going to become internet famous And people are just going to, prospective clients are just going to throw money uh, at me and that's going to be the monetization strategy. And obviously that's not much of a strategy. But I think that we're so far past the days of creating content for the sake of content's sake and in no matter what channel that we're talking about. And so, you know, creating a podcast without a purpose, creating a podcast without a connection, a direct connection into the business behind it And then architecting a content strategy that is super, super helpful for the audience. I'm not talking about creating something that is overly promotional, but something that you teach and share at depth. And that when you do and attract an audience around those teachings, that all of that connects back into the purpose of the business and the service offering or however, you know, whatever the the purpose of the business is. And so if there's if there's not that direct correlation, then what ends up happening is eight months, 10 months, 12 months, whatever the time period is, the person who's in this case recording a podcast is going to say, oh, you know, I mean, I've got uh, 40 episodes out there and I'm not really sure if it's doing any good for my business or, you know, it started as a hobby, a passion project. And then, you know, pretty soon, every time somebody is scratching a check for whatever the expenses are, Related to that effort, then they get to be scrutinized more and more and more because there's not a direct correlation into the business. So we're big fans of podcasting. We're big fans of lots of different types of content, but always with a purpose that is moving the mission of the business forward by being helpful to the audience.
1: And as someone who is a podcaster, has been for a while, and is a content creator, how did you learn the importance of having that? direct link between content
0: creation and business development? Like probably anybody, the hard way, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, you know when when we launched Onward Nation, our first podcast back in May of 2015, we launched it because we were having a business dev issue. We were having a crisis. And so, you know, our grand strategy that we talk about or that I wrote about in the book was Hey team, we're going to have a daily podcast. We're going to call it Onward Nation. I'm going to interview the best people that I can find, and that's going to solve the business development, you know, challenge that we had at Predictive at the time. Which, of course, is not much of a strategy, but that was what I thought was the strategy. And we did. We we had a brand new episode every single day, amazing. And then a couple months after the show, you know, one of our clients said, "Hey, could you do that for me?" And I'm like, "Do what for you?" He's like build a podcast for, for my business. And that was the Agency Management Institute. And, and we launched it in October 2015 and, and still uh, help manage it today. And then that turned into a business. It was like, oh, I wonder how many other guests that we've interviewed would also like to have their own show, right? Back sort of in the, I guess, more early days of podcasting. And then through that, Through writing the next book, which was after Profitable Podcasting, it was Sell with Authority. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. It isn't just for podcasting. It's for all of this other stuff. Like All of this content has to be much more strategic at the onset before you flick on the microphone. Because if we don't approach each episode with how is this going to be helpful for the audience, then we shouldn't publish it. And and so it took us a few years to figure that out. Uh, Three to be exact. And and I think that that has been a big improvement for our business.
1: Yeah. And so when you were helping other businesses in those early days launch and run podcasts, mm-hmm. it sounds like you weren't initially focused on helping them develop business related to the content. You were just helping with the mechanics of getting the show off the ground.
0: I think that's partially true. And also, you know, our, our lens at the time was well, the only people that you should have on the show, which of course this is not correct, the only people you should have on the show are people that you want to sell to, like Dream 25 Prospects. Not, not during the episode, that's and and doesn't feel good. But like downstream from that, you know, crafting the right strategy. Which, you know, again, the lens was pretty narrow. It was like, you know, that's working for predictive ROI. So of course that's the right medicine for everyone, which is ridiculous. But that's sort of the kind of the, the frame of, of mind. And what's the expression like, you know, when you have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. You know, we kind of fell into that, right? That that was going to be the solution. So early on in the business, I would say, or excuse me, early on in sort of the podcasting venture, I would say that, yeah, that was partially true. And then as we started to expand our own horizon and Predictive stopped being a one-trick pony meaning that we had more content available, annual research, video series, blog content. We started teaching at workshops and all of that. As we started to expand and we saw how helpful that was to the audience, it was like, oh, wait a minute. This was like one thin slice. We need to think about this more holistically and more strategically. And that was significant.
1: Yeah, so it it sounds like what you're doing now is in much greater alignment than it was eight years ago.
0: Yeah, I, I would think so. And I think, you know, writing the Sell With Authority book had a lot to do with that. I mean, I, I remember being in one of our quarterly leadership team meetings and saying that we are not in alignment with this book that we just wrote. and know, if we're going to be you know, the predictive that we think that we should be and become, then we have to get in total alignment with this book. And so we've spent the last several years really, really working hard in not only reshaping predictive, but then also making sure that we can be the best advisors for our clients and point to a methodology that is channel agnostic, that is about teaching, that is about helping them become the known experts in their niche, and then, being able to monetize that niche or, excuse me, monetize that position of authority in the form of a steady stream of right fit clients flowing into their sales pipeline. But but it all happens at the beginning when crafting that.
1: So at this point, what is the number one problem that you solve?
0: Uh, the dry sales pipeline, you know, almost on a daily basis when talking with, you know, our tribe, our agency owners, business coaches and strategic consultants, as you know, and... When we have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone new, whether it's in one of our QAs, a one on one call, you know, whatever, it's the, it typically is manifested in this way or, or sort of talked about in this way. It could be somebody says, My sales pipeline is dry. You talk about a steady stream of right fit clients flowing in a sales pipeline. Yeah, I'd love to have that. I don't have that. Could be that. Or it could be somebody saying, You know, we got a great sales process, we have an awesome service line here and it's priced effectively blah 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 once somebody gets into you know relationship with us we take great care of them we have great retention all of that but i just need more at bats i need more at bats with right fit clients okay similar problem different sort of description of the problem or the issue but it's typically around that like dry sales pipeline needing more at bats get in front of more right-fit people. You know, however it's described, is essentially that, the constraint on the front end of the pipe.
1: How does this particular problem of the dry sales problem or not enough at-bats, how does that relate to the eight kinds of mistakes that I mentioned in the introduction?
0: Direct correlation, and here's why. So fixing the dry sales pipeline really revolves around This is overly simplistic, but uh, for the purpose of time, you know, being able to answer three specific questions, like who specifically are you trying to sell to? Uh, What specifically are you trying to sell and for how much? And then lastly, how are you going to sell that? Like, what is the sales process, right? And the eight money draining mistakes are knitted up into those three or kind of bigger topics. Oftentimes, when we start sort of peeling back the layers around the dry sales pipeline, It's because they don't have a niche. That does not mean that you're only going to work with dentists for the rest of your life. That's not how we define niche. But typically, somebody doesn't have a niche. And and then they can't swim in the right pond for finding the right fit client because they're not sure what the pond is. Because they don't have a niche, they can't speak to the right problems, pain points, business issues, and challenges. Because everyone they serve is different and they all think they're unique snowflakes. They don't have the right stories to tell. They can maybe tell that story over here, but not the other story over there. So typically, the who, who to sell to, is a money-draining mistake because they're not sure. So they're trying to attract that right-fit client that has the right budget that's going to be perfect to work with, but they're sort of aimlessly wandering through the wilderness hoping they stumble upon that person. That's really hard to do, as you well know. And then being able to have something that is super attractive, really, like, oozes value proposition and priced properly and strategically linked in the upper or into the other uh, rungs of their value ladder. So that's a money draining mistake too, the offering. And then lastly, having a sales process that a prospect can walk through and get to the other side of it without feeling like they just got closed because that feels yucky. Like nobody likes feeling like they just got closed. And your prospects sure don't like it either. So having a great sales process is really a really important, uh, so your prospects never ever were made to feel like a prospect.
1: Stephen, for somebody who's a, a corporate refugee, hmm. which I define as somebody who has probably 20 to 40 years of experience working in an organizational setting, and then either leaves voluntarily or gets pushed out, and they're committed to starting and growing their own business, How do you figure out who your who is? Because at the beginning, that can be quite daunting. I I think it's probably
0: looking for patterns. And whether that's patterns of things you like to do, like if you're going to be a service provider, patterns of things that you like to do, and then thinking about, well, who needs that? And who would be willing, uh, potentially to pay a good price for it? And then once you understand more of like well who needs that then thinking okay where do those people where do where does that who this is starting to sound like kind of a doctor seuss book where the who hang out like is there a pond that the who belong to like do they belong to an association can you buy a mailing list like are there facebook groups that are dedicated to helping the who be better at what it is that they're trying to do are there already existing communities and that's the thing and people struggle with this because They don't get strategic about that. They're going to hang up a shingle to do the what, but not thinking about, well, who needs that what and where can I find sort of a fish in the barrel strategy? Like, how do I create a clustering of the who? If you're going to, you know, create a service business for, let's say, accounting and you're going to try to serve every small business owner in the country, that is not a narrow who. Right, I mean that you're going to be a generalist and probably treated as such, and, and that's that's fine. Uh, if you you know one of the examples that we that we talk about in the book that uh, Drew McClellan from Agency Management Institute wrote about was, you know, it is a fine business strategy to be the local country doctor. No doubt, you're going to take care of family from birth to grave. There's nothing the matter with that strategy in the least little bit. If that is your goal in recognizing that you're going to be the country doctor and you're not going to service people from seven counties over because there's no need for them to pass six other county doctors on their way to you, right? But oftentimes what ends up happening is somebody is a local country doctor who aspires to be the Mayo Clinic in recognizing that the strategy to be the Mayo Clinic where people want those specialists Working on their family members and diagnosing their family members, and there's no conversation about price or anything like that because they're the best in the world. It's a completely different strategy.
1: Yeah, I want to actually emphasize something that you just mentioned, which is no emphasis on price, mm. because as a right as a generalist, the pricing, the perception of what the right price is, can be much more like a commodity, right? Then, then when you're when you're a specialist. And you have a very narrow niche and a narrow problem and a narrow audience that you're trying to attract. 100%. Right. In which case price becomes much less of, a, of an issue and you can charge more.
0: 100%. There's a sentence that we included uh, or one of the lines at the end of a chapter in the book. And we, and we said authorities never compete on price. They just don't. The world-renowned neuroscientist or neurosurgeon at the Bayo Clinic and that person can save one of your family members because of his or her skills, you are not asking that person probably for a price estimate before the surgery, to your point. Correct. They have positional power because they have a depth of expertise and they are one, two, three, four people maybe in the world with that skill set. You want that skill set. And so my advice to somebody who is either just starting out, like you just said, is that, okay, what is it that you can provide that you know that people will need? And can you narrow it, narrow it, narrow it down into like this thin set of a suite of either tools, services, whatever. And then can you develop a well of expertise going inch wide and a mile deep so that you build this recognition of being the best in that space. And if so, to your point, you won't compete on price.
1: Yeah. Stephen, I want to talk about something else that you mentioned about the the pond and community. What's been your experience as a community member and or leader?
0: Hmm. Uh, two things. One, find existing ponds and participate in them. And I mean, generously participate in them. I don't mean hanging out in other people's Facebook groups and, you know, posting things that hopefully they will lead back to your Facebook group. That's not genuinely participating or generously participating in the pond. I mean, go to Q&As, engage with participants in the community, share helpful content that isn't self-serving, actually teach and share and play full out. So attend in-person events, get on the speaking panel. And, and when you're there, share everything that you have, the best of what you've got in full transparency. Like pour everything you can into the community members. And then build your own pond. So like build your own Facebook group, build your own LinkedIn community. Host your own q and A's, teach and share. And people will start showing up because they know what your heart is. They know that you're going to actually be helpful to them. And then eventually, they're going to raise their hand and say, hey, could you help me with this thing? And so there again, having your content aligned with the types of things you're going to do is is going to help ensure that you're not askew when you offer the thing. So the community building, participate in others' existing ponds, and then create your own pond.
1: What's an example of a community that you've been involved in where you've done, done this?
0: Several. So a real tangible one is... Uh, the Agency Management Institute. So Drew, who runs AMI, he and I were co-authors of the book, with Authority. He has a great podcast group, or excuse me, a great uh, Facebook group that's dedicated to his podcast. That's what I meant to say. The Build a Better Agency podcast. We're members of that group. He and I teach a lot. We sponsor his events. We attend those workshops. You know, the AMI workshops, excuse me. And because of that, you know, we, we've got over the last, gosh, maybe 10 years, we've gotten to know quite a few of, you know, the members inside his community. And then we also have our own Facebook group and in our own intensives and our own Q&As and all of that kind of stuff. My goodness, if, if you were to go through and look at, you know, people who are inside our Facebook group and compare it with like his list of Facebook group members, you'd see a lot of overlap, Right. We serve that audience in a different way than Drew. This is not about being competitive in any way, shape, or form. But we absolutely spend time in that pond because, one, we want to be helpful to the same people. And two, candidly, is great business development for us, too, And and as we build our own pond. That's a great example. Stephen, what's your definition of community? I think when there's a—this is a really, really great question—because— I think that some people would say, so I'll give you, I'll answer your question in two ways. I think the textbook definition would be that when there's a common purpose, maybe common vision, people feel sort of that collective and they, they hang out with one another. Like that might be a community. I think it's deeper than that and it's so inspiring like when we host our Q and A's on Wednesdays, not not every Wednesday, but when we host our Q and A's on Wednesdays or our two day intensives for clients and members and sometimes guests, and I see them, them cheering each other on. I see them answering questions in chat before we even have a chance to, I see them like when we go open mic and there are such strong advocates in that community and they answer the questions before we have a chance to. And There's this generosity of sharing the depth of what they have, sharing their experiences, sharing their wins, and sharing their foibles, and being able to play not just full out, but fully transparent about the good and the bad. I think that that is community. When somebody struggles and there's somebody there that says, I'll help you up, I think that's community.
1: Well said. Stephen, we've covered a lot of territory today. If someone wants to go deeper with anything that we've discussed or access any of your content or your resources or get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go?
0: You can find me on LinkedIn, so that would be a, a great place. Uh, you can find me or find us, I should say, at PredictiveROI.com. If somebody would like a free copy of self Authority, and honest to goodness free, it's not like one of those, give us a credit card and we'll charge you for shipping, and but you get the book for free. I mean, literally 100% free. If somebody wants that, uh, which we'd be delighted to send to them at our cost, uh, and they can get it either paperback or Kindle, they can go to PredictiveROI.com slash resources. And then they can order the book and they can download scads of worksheets and frameworks and that kind of stuff that are in the library as well. So any and all of those options are great ways to to reach out to us. And we're happy to be helpful any way we can.
1: Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today on Smashing the Plateau and sharing your insights. My guest today has been the CEO of Predictive ROI, Stephen Wessner. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, thank you again for the invitation. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Stephen Westner, we learned how you can increase revenues online consistently and repeatedly. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.